0: What's up, freaks? Welcome back to The Freaks Progcast, presented by The Prague Space. Today on the show, Dario and I have invited Jason from The Prague Mind to deep dive with us into the discography of one of our favorite bands, Evergrey, ahead of their January 25th release for The Atlantic. Let's do this, freaks. All right, freaks, welcome back to the progcast presented by the prog space. As always, my friend Dario from the Prog Space is here. Hi there. Also, we have a special guest coming all the way from the United States, Jason from the Progmind. Welcome. Hey, guys. I'm so happy to be with you guys, finally. Normally, we do like a little uh, what's hot section, but I think we're going to save that for now. We'd like to dive into what we're calling somebody progged in here, which is our section of the show where we like to kind of get deep into a subject that we really like. So Dario and I are both really big fans of Evergrey, And I think that you are too, Jason.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, I would say... I would say my number two favorite band, but definitely my
0: favorite metal
1: band Ooh. ever. So,
0: yeah. Wow. And when, when did you start listening to Evergrey? Um, it was
1: actually probably, I think it was around 2007 sometime. Okay. So a relative newcomer, I suppose you could say. Well, about half of their existence. Okay. Uh, I think Torn, when that came out, is when I first heard them.
0: Wow, interest! You came in at an interesting time yeah, in the <laughs> evolution. I would say absolutely. I think absolutely. we're going to get into that soon. But um, what about you, Dario? When did you first start listening? Yeah. To so first time I
2: heard them was the inner circle. I think it was a Rock Hard review or something, or in EMP, like this German mail order magazine. I think I read something there, and so so I gave it a try, and I loved it, and I actually. Uh, went right away to a huge open air festival, Earthshaker Festival. in Two thousand six was it, I think. So two years later, yes. Uh, yeah, I, probably Monday Morning ap- ap- Apocalypse was already out. So I I went to that huge festival only only because of them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I I guess I have you guys beat for, by a couple of years because. Um, <laughs> So I, yeah, so I'm from South Carolina originally, and really? uh, in Columbia we have a really great. We had a really great record store called Manifest Disc and Tapes, and I've written about it a little bit on the Freaks blog. It's kind of like the place where I discovered a lot of early stuff, um, together with uh, the perpetual motion board on the internet, and I think I might have first picked up. Um, I think I think I came in at around "Solitude, Dominance, Tragedy" because uh, I don't think I think that was already out when I first discovered them. So this must okay. have been 1999, 2000. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it was before 2000, so but not not earlier than 99, I guess. <laughs> yeah, "Solitude, <laughs> yeah, well, Dominance, Tragedy" is 1999. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, so it was probably that came out because actually we have I brought in my CDs here, and um, according to my research. On the internet and maybe
2: also on the CD, I guess, should be written.
0: Yeah, and and, and I have the the jewel case that had the, like, slip sleeve, like the cardboard slip sleeve. And on the back it says, made in Germany. (laughs) And the irony is I sit here in Germany now and uh, read that. So, yeah, I think this was, like, an import. I probably had to pay a lot for it. And then I had the Dark Discovery, uh, which I probably picked up there, too. And maybe it was also an import because it has a whole bunch of um, sort of reviews on the cover sticker, and they're from all the European countries. Like, you know, Metal Hammer gave it a nine and a half out of 10, um, let's see, uh, Morbid Nidiz in Poland maybe, <laughs> 10 out of 10. This was all for the dark discovery. It's kind of funny, a little bit of lore there. So, so I discovered them back then let's uh then let's start at the beginning then what do you, what do you say let's um maybe just go around and get everybody's feedback uh and go through the albums okay I think it's the honor of our honorable guest jason to to start <laughs> let's let's start with a dark discovery what what do you think of the album
1: you know i think this um when I started listening to them in two thousand seven or so this is one of the last albums i actually heard um l- like Dario, I had heard some of the songs on their Night to Remember uh, concert DVD. And um, so so when I think of the songs on this album, a lot of times I think of like <laughs> F-bombs being put in them <laughs> because oh. of how Tom sang on that DVD. <laughs> and and I was like, wait, that's not actually in the song, <laughs> you know, on the studio
0: version. Yeah, I don't remember but, any F-bombs in the album.
1: <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I don't think there's any in the yeah. actual studio, I'm just in the way he's sang it live on that Night to Remember DVD. Okay. Um, but I, I bought this on vinyl recently, because mm. they just re-released it on vinyl. And it's amazing how much it has stood the test of time. Mm. I mean, the, the sound's a little thin, per, you know, being 1998. But other than that, I mean, it might be their darkest... Um, and one of the more progressive albums they ever made, um especially as light as our darkness and beyond salvation, that kind of like couplet my it's just just so emotional, you know yeah. and so uh just blackened, you know so uh i it is still i wouldn't say it's my favorite from them, um but it is such a strong start, it really was.
0: I think I can agree with you on the emotional side because, I mean, I think even Tom sings with, I don't want to say less control, but his vocals sound more anguished somehow on that album. You know, like if you kind of feel the tears, I mean, he's always an emotional singer, I think, and I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the things I like so much about them and about him. But on this first one, yeah, it's really, it it kind of feels like he's crying from a well, you know, up to you (laughs) and you're, you know, he's trying to reach your hand. And there's the, I think the line from, it's closed eyes. um, It's like in the last um, verse, it's like an extra verse at the end. He says, I'm climbing this ladder, but it seems too long. Still, it lights up a fire inside me that i did not think existed and that's the that's the little reference that made me think of him singing to me from the bottom of the well you mm-hmm. know so yeah this is uh i think produced by andy laroque from guitarist from um Kingdom. king diamond yeah yes. oh wow uh in gothenburg at his studio and i want to say the first at least the first three records are produced by him or engineered by him, or however their whatever their re- working relationship was, but um, yeah, I also agree the the production isn't what it was going to be on the next album. Correct, um, sure. yeah, absolutely. From what I read, I think on Wikipedia, so I don't know if we can trust that or not. But um, <laughs> they the actually album recorded the album in 1995, and really? it came out in 1998. So. I mean, things move pretty fast in the production days now, I mean, with with technology and stuff, so maybe maybe there's something to be said about that. It's like a four-year gap between the first album and the second one, and you really hear huh. a difference in the sound, and it's I think it's essentially the same studio, even Andy Laroque's place in Gothenburg yeah being that this was um just a personal my my personal feeling i mean being this that, that this was one of the first albums i heard from them i think it was harder to get into than the second one the second one's a little bit more straightforward with like tracks like nosferatu and stuff like that but mm-hmm. i agree with you that this is probably one of the most progressive uh of the album of the of the albums in their catalog because the songs drift and move in a way that's a lot different it's a lot more sort of controlled chaos yeah uh, yeah. and less straightforward you know metal songs than 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 what you would get on the next album so holds a special place for me because i think i had like the double whammy of the first two records that's how i started so
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah thank you uh jason
2: and randy uh for these elaborations on the dark discovery it was a great discovery wasn't it <laughs> but after what what you said i definitely have to will have to get back to it and listen to it again because i think like two days ago when i or, or a couple of days ago when i when i started um preparing for this episode i think it was the first time that i listened to it uh, like completely entirely oh wow um Wow. So um yeah, um on the on the, on your first listen, you it's especially if it's a proggy album, you might not get everything and when you do something on the side and not paying attention fully, then um yeah, you you will not get all the details and most or or a lot of Really good prog albums, of course, are growers, and I I can I can see that it
0: has the potential, and I will definitely get back to it now. Yeah, and I mean, just a note on the first song, "Black and Dawn," the way it starts. I mean, this kind of sets up what they're going to do their whole career. This like powerful oh, yeah. intro that just kind of flies in at you, uh and these like barrage of of drums, and then the sudden break, and it's just Tom. Singing in all his soulful glory over the <laughs> first melody, and, and then this like kind of sets the stage for everything that they'll do. You know, you still hear that sound now on the new record.
1: Mm-hmm. I I almost feel like this album can be more appreciated if you're already a fan of later albums. Like maybe mm-hmm. if you started out with this album, you would be kind of like, oh okay. <laughs> but if you're Already sold on the band and then go to it um it's like this nostalgic little surprise like little treasure mm. <laughs> that you know starts their career, and all the things that you love are still there, but maybe they're just not quite um formed all the way yet into what you know and and love but it's it's uh I'm, I'm glad I heard it you know after Listening to several other albums, you know.
2: You you just said maybe the all, all these ingredients or or this formula was not quite formed. Maybe it was also not not like like refined or streamlined as it was at some points yep. during their career. That I, where I had the feeling that it was like going the
0: safe way. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a songwriting perspective, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was the. I think, I mean, if you look at the pictures, it looks like they're teenagers. You know, I mean, they're oh, so they're yeah. so young,
2: and especially Tom, who's also the only <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, remaining, the only one uh, we can compare, the, the uh, only remaining uh, remaining member from that initial founding lineup. Yeah, great. Well, Dario, homework. Um. <laughs> Hi, sir. Just one little uh, lineup note or note on the musicians that are playing. Of course, Karina was also singing as well already with uh, oh, on, yeah, on, on "For Every Tear That Falls," and she has been on every album since. Um, wow, we'll we, right. we, we, we'll we'll come to speak of her again later, I think. Yeah. With absolutely. with more um, with more songs where she could shine. Mm -hmm. but I think we can move on to the... Dario, what's in your hands there? (laughs) It's actually the booklet from Solitude Dominus Tragedy, uh, because I've never seen it. I don't have the original at home, I have to admit. The Made in Germany copy that I have from Uh way back in the days. Yes, and, well, there's three songs for me that stand out. Also, partly because I knew them from and I to Remember, which are, of course, Nosferatu. She Speaks to the yeah. Dead and Words Mean Nothing. These would be the three standout tracks for me. Yeah, r- w- right. I, I'm going to jump right in with Nosferatu. Um, this is like the first three albums, actually. Recreation Day also... Still a little bit, but mostly the first three albums with songs like Nosferatu—they have a little bit of um, guilty pleasure feel for me, like mm. y- like a fantasy movie, like you know the you remember the Bram, yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula. This kind of fantasy mm, thrill, goosebumps, Nosferatu. This this yeah. little mm. guilty pleasure feel, and with later albums, it kind of. Like from at least the inner circle, I had the feeling it was like more real, mm. uh, so to speak, emotions like more personal. Root, personal, more rooted in reality rather than fiction or uh, this kind of fantasy gothic <laughs> style. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, sp- I can see that. Yeah, speaking of the emotions, I I get from 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 the songs.
1: This album in my opinion, is one of their more accessible for newcomers. Um, you know, I've gone and seen Evergrey live many times, and a couple of times I dragged my younger brother along, who's not necessarily a metal fan at all. But the songs of this album, like, you know, like the Solitude Within um, itself, that was something that automatically grabbed him. And, you know, he would talk about it for days afterwards and i I don't know what it is i mean i don't know if it's like the strong like clear melodies throughout the album set against like that dark atmosphere that was all over the first album um but you know i know some of the favorite tracks like not fair too and she speaks to the dead are you know like the fans favorites you know but i always um gravitated to like the shocking truth and um well words means nothing um it's one of my favorite songs by ever gray on any other albums and even uh the Corey curse which yeah it's such a strange song in a way but there's just something about it that just absolutely gets me going and um i don't know this album it just it feels pretty perfect <laughs> in a lot of ways um taking what they did on their original And then just adding that extra something, I'm not sure, I don't even know what it is, to be honest. Maybe like a little bit of light, Mm. just like a little bit of hope maybe, Um, even though it's not all that hopeful, not at all actually. But the feeling of it is, and um, they just knocked it out of the park with this one, in my opinion.
0: I think uh, I think you nailed it when you said it's like one of the most accessible ones. Um, I think partly that's because the 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 way that they wrote the songs. I think it gives a lot more room for Tom to sing. Like the the oh, first yeah. the first album is so busy in the music department, it, it feels a bit like <clears throat> excuse me. M- maybe they wrote all the music parts and then he just came in and, like, sung over them, but they were so <laughs> complex they didn't have put any thought into, you know, leaving room for his voice. And so sometimes even, like, the timings of the way he sings, it feels like an afterthought to, to sing over yeah. those things. Um And it must be difficult to sing live, too, some of those early songs. But he's always been fascinating that he could play that stuff on the guitar and sing, that he yeah, has sure. both talents. I mean, this is...
1: That blows me away every time I see him play.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I would say uh words mean nothing is like mega. Uh I love that I love that song so much. And the Cory Curse is is actually probably my favorite song in the album. It's one of the it's one of their great sort of crescendo songs. It it has this perfect mm-hmm. build from the beginning, you know, that starts with this really simple beat and by the end it's just like full on yeah it's a great album ender so yeah i mean i got this together probably with the dark discovery and for me it was like i i heard immediately the maturity i think dark discovery took me longer to get into than solitude dominance tragedy because i had that in my hands too so i discovered them at the same time and so i guess that was probably the first album i loved uh and then you know Dark Discovery grew on me, knowing the band. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and this is also still Andy LaRoque and still pre-Inside Out days. I think, <clears throat> at least for us in the U.S., this was still one of the albums that you had to import. Oh, yes, yeah. <clears throat> it wasn't until the um, In Search of Truth uh, were, they, were they made available... In North America, at least. And and one little note as we transition to that album, I always thought um, the shocking truth was somehow like the preamble of In Search of Truth because it's the same story in a way. It's like mm-hmm. he's being haunted by people or things that are, you know, touching him or... <laughs> <laughs> you know abducting him or doing things and it's like he also uses the tape recorder effect um that he would expand on in the next record so I, I never read if that is the case or if it's just me like reading into it but i always thought that was like a like a taste of what was to come
1: Hmm. Oh, no, i know i've always seen that connection too oh, okay. um almost so much so that in my mind, the shocking truth like ends up
0: on that uh, this in search of truth album sometimes I'm <laughs> yeah like, wait 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 that's not on that album yeah it makes me <laughs> confuse the name of the album actually because I always think it's the shocking <laughs> truth and they no, it's in search of truth uh, okay so with that being said, Jason, why don't you kick off then um, in search of truth? Uh, this was
1: technically the first album I heard from them. I had listened to a couple of singles off a of torn. Um, but this is the first one I actually purchased, um, and it like ruled my mind. <laughs> well, there's a song on it called "Rulers of the Mind," but <laughs> it, it ruled my mind for a long time. And it's funny because I remember showing some of my friends, and I was like, "Isn't this just like amazing?" Like I would try, I would play like "Mark of the Triangle" or something, and and they would be like, uh, i just not seen it, man." <laughs> <be> like, but <laughs> but like it's amazing. And, you know, it's funny about In Search of Truth, I've had a little bit of an up-and-down relationship with this album because I loved it right away. But people in the U.S. especially, this is like the ever-great album. Yeah. And so much so that I think, didn't they play it in its entirety, I think, at Prague Power one time? But it's it's such a good album. But in some ways, I feel like it's overrated. Not that it's overrated objectively, but... That everyone puts other albums down in, in, in comparison to say this you one mean, is yeah. their best and always will be their best. And I love this album and I listen to it quite often. Um, and my my favorites on it are "Rulers of the Mind," "Mark of the Triangle," and um, that incredibly emotional uh, "Different Worlds." That that song just like swallows me into this black pit every time. But. Um, I would normally put it like in the middle of the pack as far as my favorites for the band. Mm. And it's not because, and I think it's partially because other people rate it so highly and that's just kind of how I am, unfortunately. Um, But all of their albums are like nines or tens for me. So so (laughs) it's not much of a difference.
0: Dario? Well, um,
2: In Search of Truth is, Yeah, also the last album from that opening trilogy that I just recently really discovered or heard like for the first time. I only knew these few songs from the live DVD, CD, and I too remember. So, yeah, The Master Plan, Mark of the Triangle, really cool songs. I don't know not, not that much more to say from my uh uh side uh, other than longtime guitar player Henrik Danhage joined with this album.
0: Oh, okay. Um Dario and I were talking in one of the uh I think maybe the last podcast um we were watching one of the new videos and we were talking about the band and and i think at one point dario said oh yeah uh, with the inner circle the their masterpiece and i was like wait 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 <laughs> uh i were because i was like started with the band in, in the first albums i remember when search of truth came out and and mm-hmm. that was the masterpiece you know like <laughs> and and i think jason kind of you know made the statement that at least in the u.s that album was like a big deal. And maybe maybe it had to do with like the press they got in the US or or the exposure we had, but I remember this being a huge album when it came out and and also for me it was like they took those two things from the first the the, the elements of the first two albums and made like a nearly perfect record. Yeah, and I still love it as one of my favorite albums from them and there's only one other album I think that I like more or that I, would, that I did like more at one point, but um, mm-hmm. it's still at least number one or number two for me and probably because I was just kind of on the ride already and, uh, and when that came out, it was just like a revelation, you know, that, that how amazing they had become. My only qualm with the record is the last song. Okay, yeah. M- misled think it's cool mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for me that always felt like a like an add-on like a you know like in the movie where they feel like they have to kind of explain everything oh yeah <laughs> uh and and musically it also feels so different it, it i mean it has a sort of conclusive feeling to it but for me I just remember listening to it, you know, on a CD Walkman, you know, in New York City, like on my way to class and stuff. And whenever that song came in, in the end, it was always like, eh, I'm already class. I don't need to listen to that song. <laughs> it was like it never. For me, it was like the one weak element. Everything else was like totally perfect, but "Misled" was was never my, never one of my favorite songs from them. Um, and what I read uh, later, and I have the Evergrey Recreation Day um, deluxe edition, I guess. At least I still have the case. I think I lost yeah. a CD at one point uh, or whatever. I think I lost the CD because it had some bonus tracks on it. But inside are the liner notes. I don't know, if, Jason, if you have the same copy. And and I'm in there, sure. they talk about that when they made In Search of Truth, they were... they. They only had, like, one and a half months to, like, write the songs and record them. Like, they were not prepared at all. They waited to the last minute, and they they said, like, they'll never do that again because they kind of rushed through the album. And then it turned out to be, I mean, at least at the time, the biggest record that they Uh made. So that's kind of funny that it feels like they spent three years, like you know fine-tuning that album and in fact it was like just super fast and and done very quickly so uh yeah this is the first album on inside out then and yeah the first north american release that i think coincided with the album's actual release so probably like a worldwide release whereas the first Mm -hmm. two were on a smaller imprint and we only had uh imports in the u.s you yeah. know, I
1: think it it is interesting because um, I don't personally hear it, but I think one reason why this one was so big in the U.S. is because a lot of people act as if Evergrey were influenced heavily by Dream Theater on this album. And and so when I've talked to people about it, that, this is like the most Dream Theater-like album they ever made. And I'm always just like, I don't hear it, yeah. but there's something about it that, jived with dream theater fans it is what i think it ended up being that's really interesting maybe I, the I, keys on it I, I don't know what it is but
0: yeah i mean they have the key the keys are a bit theatrical or more yeah. dream theatery but yeah i also i never it's made not, that I connection it at all <laughs> me neither i never made that connection at all
2: yeah actually I, I remember reading this little review i think i'm pretty sure it was in the emp magazine it's a german mail order for cds and and clothing like metal brands and stuff um and yeah they also mentioned dream theater and i back then i didn't knew that many (laughs) prog bands so so yeah of course it caught my attention um in the end i didn't hear any dream theater in it because it was way darker and way like more metal
0: yeah i mean honestly i mean back then i mean like this what was this album 2001 i believe so yeah Um, yeah um Correct. I mean, in the 90s, there was just so many dream theater knockoffs. I mean, so many. And I mean, most of, I would say, like, Prague metal was, you know, before 99 and stuff, was was really like this this kind of dream theater sounding bands. And I bought all the albums, too, but, uh, you know, it was exciting when, um, you know, bands like nevermore were reinventing themselves ever was coming up pain of salvation was coming around and then they kind of like broke the mold you know and moved i felt moved the genre away from the dream theater imitators yes. and and, and combine this sort of melodic power metal um with progressive elements and then maybe like splash of European zest on the top. (laughs) Scandinavian. Scandinavian Scandinavian metal. Yeah. This was a big era for, yes, for Swedish metal. I mean, Swedish death metal in flames was absolutely huge. I mean, Clayman, I think came out either that year or the year before, which I think brought them, you know, world, you know i mean everybody knew them then soil work also appeared on the scene around this time so you really had a lot of bands coming out of stockholm and coming out of um gothenburg Gothenburg. Mm -hmm. um and i and i was really into that stuff of course opeth too but they were kind of still in a class of their own i think blackwater park came out that year (laughs) i mean sounds about right hard to compare um yeah, cool. Okay, so that was In Search of Truth. Um the next um Dario, why don't you start this one? Because I feel like this is one of your faves. We're getting close to my fave, but um yeah,
2: some some last uh some last theatrical fantasy songs on there, like the opening, The Great Deceiver has this like neoclassical feel, and then those gothic choir vocals like oh 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 just <laughs> like wouldn't fit that much in it in like a, like a, in these personal emotional settings and it it's still like some of the later songs on their album like i'm sorry uh madness caught another victim don't have this fantasy feeling to them already anymore but still i think
0: it's it's a coherent coherent album in itself and it's it's a great one so we're talking about uh recreation day yeah which came out in which year 2003 2003 okay and it was the first
2: album to feature rickard zander on keyboards oh yeah who remained uh from this point
0: as the main keyboard player okay Jason, what do what do you think of this album?
1: I actually just listened to this album yesterday because I they just released this on vinyl as well, and I spent some Christmas stuff on it. And nice, uh, basically, um, at one time was probably like top two for me in their albums. And it's always got this. I always feel like it has this odd quality to it because some of the writing is like a little. like almost like it doesn't entirely translate to the US like the some of the wording they use like recreation day like when i think of recreation i don't think of what they're talking about you know but um recreation you, well, yeah exactly parks and recreation <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> when i finally oriented myself to this you know i know that people love like the great deceiver cuz that you know the opening guitars and you know as i lie here bleeding and um blinded people love blinded and and i love all those too um but it's some some of the odder tracks on there are what i really really like um like madness con another victim that one's just like sublime acoustic Mm. um or absolutely your darkest hour the the ending to that with karina's voice harmonizing with them is just like you know the high point of the album for me, and even unforgivable, which it almost feels like misled in some ways uh in that it they could have ended it with the dar- your darkest hour, like <laughs> they could've just ended it there, but they didn't, and so uh unforgivable <laughs> it's kind of different than the rest of the album, but it's also you know so at first, I used to end it at your darkest hour, and I didn't listen to Unforgivable at all, but I've come to really like that album as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the big, I don't know, single, if you want to call it that, I'm Sorry, that song is another, like, super accessible song by the band that, you know, the video, first of all, I don't know if you've ever seen the music video, but it's, it's kind of awesome. Have you ever seen it? it it's kind of, no. um, he's sitting at a table with family, but he's, he's like dead or something.
0: Oh, <laughs> and I don't think, think I've seen it, Like
1: it's going like through picture frames like memories and stuff like that it's really interesting um video and it kind of represents the album as a whole it's kind of a little weird a little odd
0: but just like still kind of kick ass you know i i just wanted to say i think that this album um i'm just quickly looking at the notes here yeah, so I think that this is now the second album with Matthias Noren's artwork, isn't it? Yeah, great point. Yeah, um, they, okay. they they like, after Solitude Dominates Tragedy, I think with In Search of Truth, maybe you can confirm that for me. I always confu- I, I sometimes confuse him with Travis Smith. <laughs> um, maybe you can double check that. In Search of Truth, art direction and design by Matthias Noren. Yeah, progart.se. So, right so he, he did a bunch of great album covers back in those in those years i mean he's still working i think um yeah but- um i can confirm he is still working but not uh it, he
2: did this uh for a time full-time as a full-time job but not anymore okay. um he's actually a very good friend of mine oh, okay. because i meet him every year at Proc power europe in the- cozy little town of Barlow in the south of netherlands
0: yeah cool okay yeah I and mean, i i mean and i think you know something has to be said about the artwork because you know once they got to in search of truth and then the, the sound like you know got more mature and then the artwork took on a certain direction you know they they went into this sort of yeah fantastical collage direction which uh, which i think mm-hmm. suits the band really well so my thoughts on recreation day I remember, and this is like, you know, I don't know if my memory serves me correctly. I remember when they were writing the album, and I remember reading an interview with Tom, and he said they wanted to make a concept album about the um, abuses in the church. So there's the one song, Unforgiven. And they wanted to do something, like a whole album about the abuses in the church, and that was supposed to be this, but it was too difficult for him to do it. This is what I recall. And then he said, okay, we didn't do that for this. And then they would later explore that in a full full album. So so he kind of said, instead, we scrapped that idea and we just wrote a bunch of songs. So I think for me, that interview kind of skewed my feelings for the album because In Search of Truth was so great and it was this concept record. And then they he was yeah. kind of like, well, we were going to go for a concept and then it was too painful, you know, personally to kind of... it's." I think he was like researching and, you know, I mean, this is just such dark material. Maybe it was even too dark for him to try to explore at that time. Yeah. And so for me, it always felt like when it came out, it felt a bit rushed and um, a bit, I don't, I don't want to say it's like a hodgepodge of songs that's like putting it down because I do really like the record, but it didn't feel as cohesive to me. As in search yeah. of truth and it felt like they were trying new stuff maybe and yeah there's some uh, very accessible stuff on there and some very emotional stuff and of course the opening you know guitar lines and stuff is just great but for for me it felt like a weaker album than in search of truth okay. um, just listening to it in the chronology but then I got into it you know because I kept listening to because I just loved the band so I th- yeah, I, I guess if it's if 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 in search of truth was a ten, then this was like an eight. So I mean, it's not like a drastic change sure, in yeah. uh, in my thinking, but yeah, I mean, this was what I I remember at the time when it came out, what I thought, and I think it kind of grew on me later, and maybe also with the live DVD that came out after the inner circle, and, unless this is the one you guys are talking about in the. Yeah, a it's, night to remember. Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's the only one they've ever done, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess so. It's, this was a this is a great DVD. I have it at home, and it's like so high production and yeah, very cool. They, they did it at home in their hometown. Yeah, like right, Gothenburg. I think. Okay, that was Recreation Day. I think. Uh, why don't we kick off uh, toss coin toss? I think. Um, chomping at the bit to talk about the next record. So, uh, Jason, um, shall we let Dario uh, start this one? Because I think he's going to prog out here. Yeah, well, uh, I think I already
2: mentioned it earlier. Well, The Inner Circle from 2004 is just flawless in my book. It's such a perfect record. I love the songs. I love the, the... concept is well thought out and amazingly f- formed into songs and into a complete album and um I like the how the album is like diverse like the balance balance between hard heavy dark stuff and then you have this little acoustic um, songs in between, yeah, it's just just an amazing album. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's like, w- yeah, it's definitely my favorite um, Evergrey album. And well, the opening double, a touch of blessing and ambassador, ambassadors, probably one of the greatest riffs to headbang to and then in essence of conviction there's this crazy proggy riff that's like in between the normal song parts like and with this crazy riff the song all, all also ends so this is probably my favorite evergrey riff uh but there's also another riff coming like at the very end which is the single most greatest single note riff ever in music history in my book which is uh, when the walls go down it's just so powerful and mm. impactful after this mm-hmm. emotional build-up with the with the strings and and the spoken words and then it's just like the last three minutes is just one one single note but it's so powerful i it's it, it, I don't know how you come up with this. All oh, let's play just one note. No, it's it's fits perfectly and it's just an amazing ending to this
1: amazing album. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason. The Inner Circle is one of those albums that I have to approach very gingerly because, you know, I'll say right up front, it is my number one ever gray
0: album, and I don't think it ever will. Uh, I think we lost you. Yeah, dude. Uh oh, something. Is- so we just had a short break there because there was a bit of a winter storm passing through on Jason's end of the world. And so now I think we're, we're talking to you on your phone now, correct? That's right. The Prague will get through. <laughs> we'll soldier on. Jason, you were just about that. You were just about to talk about the inner circle
1: absolutely yeah um okay so the inner circle um i actually bought it at the same time as in search of truth i bought them together at a store i found them and i didn't like it at first um, which was really strange um something about ambassador turned me off about the album i don't know what it is i would like turn it off and i did this for like a year and I listened to a lot of their other albums and all of that. And I finally just decided to return to it one day and, um, the power behind the, the lyrical themes and, you know, it just drove me to just experience the whole thing. So I, so I experienced the whole thing and, in the inner circle, you know, has become my absolutely favorite album by the band. Um, every single song on it, I love, but the, two songs I love the most are what Dario was talking about. Um, when the walls go down that, that song, you know, especially if you experience it live is just absolute atmosphere and sorrow and desperation, just like just punching a punch in the gut really. And I, there's just something about it that, um, it's almost like artsy in a way, but Emotional and personal at the same time, but this album also has my favorite Evergrey song ever on it, and that is um, "In the Wake of the Weary." I've huh. been, I've been begging Tom to play it live. Um, there's a little bit of a problem because Karina did have a pretty big part in that song, so I don't know if we're actually ever going to hear that. But that song has one of my favorite instrumentals in a progressive metal album ever and just the chorus and everything about it it's one of my favorite songs of all time by any band let alone ever break there's just something about that song well wow. so it's just um i don't know it's the hard uh theme that they chose and obviously he like you said he was wanted to do that with recreation day originally but the i don't know man that I don't know if Tom had a relative or if this was just something that was in the media, especially at that time or what, but man, he just, he absolutely took the absolute sorrow and the perspective from various people who would be affected by such a thing and just made it into art. And I just love it. Absolutely love it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say that the, the, the use of the, of the, um it's not it's not a voiceover like the use of the sound bites of the like the preacher talking and I mean mm-hmm. these are these are so well used and often you hear those kinds of things in songs and they're just kind of like a little like a little sprinkle on a song, you know, to have some kind of like cool like spoken word thing. And in this one it's like they're so integral to the story. Absolutely and <laughs> and, and the use of them, I mean it's so it's it's almost hard to listen to you know because it feels so real and uh i guess somewhere these recordings come from some some place i think the la- very last song is actually a spoken word piece from yeah, maybe yeah. an uh, an artist um and then the 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 reverend or the the preacher um i i don't know the origins of those uh jason do you happen to know where they come from
1: i i've actually tried to find out who that is because um i don't know he just seems seems familiar (laughs) and the reason it seems familiar is because i was raised very very legalistic like christian Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the things that this guy is saying throughout the album they like strike me deeply like that's stuff i've heard before Mm -hmm. and and then he takes it a little bit it's kind of like a bewildering album because Sometimes what he's saying is almost good, um, like life giving. And then he'll take it and be like, we've got to kill the baby. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, and, and I understand why they did that. You know, the church is supposed to be this light and all that, right? Yeah. And, then, and then they turn around and you'll, they, you know, especially the Catholic Church, they're destroying lives and things like that at this point, you know, yeah. and even now. And so it's kind of like this up and down, like roller coaster of emotion where you think you hear something that you, that sounds good and you can understand why they're following this man. And then all of a sudden, you know, he takes a 360 and, and wants to do something, t- take that power and influence and do something more with it that is completely wrong. So it's crazy. Crazy.
0: I yeah. I also come from, I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist in South Carolina yeah. because there's nothing, there's no other choice really in South Carolina. So, <laughs> um, Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I I guess it's also, yeah, struck me in this way, um, uh, some sort of close to home or personal. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think for me personally, the album is is in the same department as In Search of Truth. I mean, I kind of feel like they're both my favorite album from the band. And I think if I would have come into the band later this could easily be the main one, but because I was with the band from early on in search of truth was already so high on the scale. And then this one, but this one reaches like a deeper, you know, in search of truth is still a bit of the fantasy thing like Dario talked about. And this one feels much more real, you know, it really Mm -hmm. gets to, goes to a place that, I mean, most bands don't go you know it it takes you Absolutely. to a very very emotional place and um so this is definitely on my top album uh uh top albums from them list and and also because they did in search of truth and then they just put out one record and then they just came back and knocked you out with another like <laughs> perfect record i mean it was that that's so rare that you get you know something so quickly that's just as powerful and maybe even better you know, Mm -hmm. than the first quote-unquote masterpiece album. So I think think the fact that I loved this one so much and listened to it easily as much as In Search of Truth hurt every other album after it for me. I think because this was so good, it was just... I think I couldn't emotionally take another album that didn't reach some, at least close to this and maybe for them as artists it was hard to do anything like that again right away i was thinking about well we had uh
2: around a little bit earlier we had dream theater with metropolis part two and then it's well they followed it with six degrees with like huge thing double album (laughs) so they Went all in, and uh, well, with Evergrey, with Monday Morning Apocalypse, it felt more like they they went on to a more safe way of songwriting and more mm-hmm. mainstream kind of thing, like the total opposite. Yeah. Not total, but some elements, like like the more mainstream appeal, was the mainstream appeal was really obvious uh, on Monday morning apocalypse yeah I think yeah,
0: e- yeah. even with the um, the artwork absolutely I mean you've, I mean, the artwork is, is already like a bit more lighthearted you know having their mug shots on the yeah. cover of the album and it's a little bit like I, I don't know maybe it's like a little bit more like heavy metal you know <laughs> somehow or something yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, maybe even a bit more American I dare say Ooh, um, okay. which I is not a, not a compliment. <laughs> <So>.
2: <laughs> yeah, looking looking through the booklet with with the yeah offense report, Office of Sheriff, County of Solano, California.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, so it it was, like goes into this sort of like image, kind of gimmick thing and. So I think I bought this album, you know, of course right when it came out because I was I was stoked to hear it and I mean the songs are strong. It's not that it's like a bad album by any standard. I just I think coming off of Inner Circle maybe they and the listener also maybe needed a break or something. Like you just can't make an album like the Inner Circle Every time just, around. Just too much. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Emotionally. Not even pain of salvation can do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Jason, so what do you think of this album? So you came on with Torn, so this would have been the album mm-hmm. before that, right? So That's right. what's your feelings here? Um, you know, it's
1: <laughs> this might surprise you, but I love this album. Uh it's one of the most personal albums I ever made, I think. And it's just straightforward songs that kind of culminate in this um now, I don't know if every song on it is about this, but it almost feels like it's a song- a album about Tom's father um, I don't know if it's about his father or if it's you know maybe somebody else's, but um the album itself, I think it was only released in some. Maybe it was Japan or maybe even the U.S. The song "Closure" at the end, mm-hmm. which um, I don't know if that was on the original release in Europe or not. Um, they always said it was a bonus track on my copy, anyways. But uh, the song "Closure" kind of brings all that around and is probably top five evergreen song for me because of you know some personal things with my own father, and so it's kind of um, once. I kind of recognized what it was about. You know, the album just means a lot to me and there's a lot of, you know, almost like radio metal on there, especially the first, Oh, like three or four songs. And it's really good. Like radio metal. I, I would say, yeah, Um, it is. I had, it's fun. Come from listening to that, that kind of music anyway. So, you know, alternative rock, alternative metal that didn't turn me off to the album. Like I think it did some others. Um, but then you hit like the curtain falls and in remembrance, and even, uh, and then like still in the water. And it's just as deep as anything they've ever made. Yeah. And so I, I think it's unfairly maligned a little bit. And I think the cover does have a lot to do with that because I, I don't like the cover at all. <laughs> but the song, the uh, album itself is just as emotional and I think almost too emotional. Maybe it was like a mainstream attempt. But I think it's too emotional, too um evergrey to be <laughs> um accepted by the masses, if you know what I mean. It, like I've tried to show some buddies those songs who like that kind of music. And they, they didn't like his voice, especially because especially in the US the, the singers are always kinda like gruff and almost like yelling at you.
0: Yeah, it disturbs. <laughs> More his, than,
1: he's, exactly. Instead of he's you know, too velvety Tom, smooth and like soulful like poetic voice so it's it's an album that a lot of people didn't like but i think that they a lot of people have come around to it years later
0: maybe it's my turn to come around to it because um yeah i also find that that happens quite often for me that i just i go out of a phase of a band and then like you know Mm -hmm. kind of rediscover them and certainly the process of preparing to talk about this has made that rediscovery mode come back and, like, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. bring back those old feelings, like my old flame, Evergreen, you know? (laughs) Um, And and I think you're right. I think think the cover maybe and the fact that the first couple of songs had this kind of metal radio sound, like you say, maybe I just felt like a loss of artistic integrity with it and then, like, shut myself off to it. So... um, I think um, I'll take your word for it, and I'll go back and and, and give it another shot because, it, I mean, it's Evergrey. It has to be good. I just, you know. Yeah. One, one thing. Uh,
2: one thing uh, I forgot to mention as a completionist here and like, the research guy. Um, already with the Inner Circle, we had Jonas Ekta joining on the drums. Also a very important member of the classic Evergrey lineup, I mm-hmm. guess and yeah as Jason said when when he mentioned these songs like In Remembrance Still in the Water uh, I just kind of set my mind to hearing them in my mind and then I thought yeah well you're absolutely right Jason all those deep emotions are there so um, yeah I'm I'm with you on that of course it's a little little dip after The Inner Circle but uh, that as randy said as well i uh, you you can't like always stare into the abyss of human emotions you know and it's it's just uh it also has its emotional and deep deep
0: uh things going on absolutely i have the u.s copy here to the cd and it, it, it also has the closure bonus track on it so it's probably the same one you have unless you have like the digipack or something i just have the jewel case that tells you about when i bought it too Mm -hmm. so because the jewel case would have come you know would have been more common after the initial release of the album you know um and normally i buy like the digipacks when they come out and i have that for a lot of the other records like the special edition one you know with the bonus tracks and stuff and for this one i just have the jewel case which probably means like they put out another album, and I was like not ready for it, you know. And then bought it yeah. a little bit later. So, yeah, that's a little side note. So why don't why don't we move on then? Um, Speaking to... of
2: putting out another album, <laughs> and we were not ready for it. Well, I was. I think same as you, Randy. Um, I lost track of them, uh, but it was for you, Jason. It was the f- the the album you discovered them with. Torn right yeah we're Mm -hmm. in
1: 2008 now correct yeah I think um Torn to this day um you know it may be even though it was the one I found them on it may be my least favorite album from them um I actually still quite like a lot of the songs especially the last three I feel like they flow really well together and maybe they're even supposed to um but it is the album i find myself listening to the least out of everything else
0: i would just add to that um i was just noting in my hand is i actually have the digipack of this so i you know when it came out i think i was ready to jump back in and and keep going with Evergrey. but Mm -hmm. as i look at this digipack it's it's as if i bought it today it, oh really? The booklet is so clean and pristine. The CD has no marks on it, whatever. <laughs> and this this was 2008. My daughter was born in 2009, and I, I and I I had like a dip in music of during this time. I think you're oh, yeah. uh, a parent as well, Jason. So, like I, I I think this kind of came out. I bought a house in the year 2008. So it was like moving into a home, bought this album probably, and then it might have like shelved it and just like didn't have time. And then a kid came along. So I think this was like the moment when I fell out of the Evergrey thing, also just because of life, you know, because Absolutely. I didn't have enough room for lots and lots of music, which I normally w- would have wanted to have, but buying a new house, first child, blah, blah, blah. I mm-hmm. I think this was the moment where I didn't connect... And I, I don't have much of a relationship with the album. I, when I put it on, I'm like, oh, yeah, I recognize the song <laughs> playing mm-hmm. because I've heard it a, a, a couple of times. But this is the, another one that I have to go back now that we've discussed these and, and, and listen again.
1: And, and I know that the band, I think, themselves, they were having some struggles line, with the lineup. Yeah. Um, it was. Like... I don't believe that they were working well together on a personal basis. And so I remember hearing around this time that Tom was such a diva and Tom was this and Tom was that. So I assume that (laughs) there were some arguments and
2: stuff going on
1: behind the scenes
2: too. Yeah. This album had actually almost the classic lineup now already on it. Uh, Uh Minus, minus Johan Niemann. It was like one, this on this particular album was Jari Kainulainen, Finnish bass player. Who used to play mm-hmm. in Stretch of Ares before he oh, played okay. on there? Um, yeah, but the lineup um, yeah, difficulties were even more obvious with the next one, where yeah. Johan Nieman came in for the first time, but we also had Marcus Jiddell on guitar and Hannes van Dahl on drums, um, replacing Henrik and Jonas mm-hmm. temporarily at least but at that time it wasn't of course you you, nobody knew what would become later so yeah but glorious collision i think i can agree with with randy across the desk here that we never really listened to it
1: well really
0: yeah I, i mean yeah full disclosure um when we were when I was putting together, like pulled out all my old Evergray CDs and was like stacking them up and like making my notes for the talk, I was like looking at Wikipedia and they were like, Yeah, then the album that came out in 2011, Glorious Collision, I was like, What? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't I didn't even know the album. I mean, it was like the I, I, I come I have not heard it. I haven't heard it to this day. Unless I really? heard a single back then and and then just kind of wrote it off. But um another point is 2011 I moved from the U S to Germany. So this was another year of a lot of changes and not a lot of time for, yeah. you know, discovering music and listening. So, um, maybe I guess, Jason, you're going to have to take over on this one.
1: <laughs> sure. This is the first one I pre-ordered from them. Obviously I thought they were done, you know, cause you know, I discovered in 2007, 2008 and, um, but this is 2011, so three years went by, and I assumed that the band was gone and done. And um, but obviously, at that time, you could start. That was kind of like the fledging, fledglingly years of uh, Facebook, like band pages and stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I saw that they were bringing this album out, and and you know the lineup is almost completely different. And, um, this is actually the album that I first got to see them live, you know, the, the tour they did in support of it as well. Um, and so this album as a result has a little bit of nostalgia for me, although I would probably ra- rank it just right above torn, um, at the bottom, even though, but I mean the bottom of Everbrae is like better <laughs> than most other bands to me, yeah. but <laughs> and you know, highlights on this album, um, you know, they had had a great single, you know, uh, Wrong and, uh, Frozen, I think was another single on it and they are both really good, but the rest of the songs, um, kind of as you get towards the second half of the album are when they really start, they, they're they not necessarily my favorites for the same reason other Evergreen songs are my favorites. Um, like the Phantom Letters, for instance, is it's kind of a ballad, and although I love Evergreen ballads, this one just feels different. Um, and there's a, but there's just something about it that I I absolutely adore. And then the um, the end, there's like the disease dot dot dot, and then there's another song between there, and then the the last song is and the dis, dot 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 and the distance. So they kind of go together, and it's kind of um, like. The, f- the disease is a great song, but then, um, like it needs "And the Distance" to feel complete, and it's an amazing song. And then, actually, on if you if you have a copy of it, you'll see that there is a like a bonus version of "And the Distance," where Karina, uh, Karina and Tom both sing on both of them, but they switch the parts. And so, I actually my favorite song on the album is actually the part the the the, the alternate version of and the distance where karina sings um the major part in the second half and i think it works a little bit better than the original version and so it's kind of like a an album that is very very accessible very melody forward uh pretty catchy on on some some of the courses are really catchy and so um it is i think a good entry point for people but it's and, and it does have a lot of the emotion, but the production feels a little bit colder, I think, than their other albums. So in the end, it's kind of um, not one I revisit a whole lot. Um, but now I'm feeling like I should now that I'm talking about it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you 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 mentioned uh, Karina, and in my little yeah. production notes, uh, speaking of England family talent, this was also the first time that. Uh, their daughter selena appeared oh yeah singing yeah
1: that's true too yep Mm -hmm. um
2: but very much more prominent on the next one 2014 hymns for the broken Mm -hmm. return of the classic lineup henrik and jonas were back Mm -hmm. and
0: man what a return it was yeah i was just gonna say i think we can't gloss over this uh this return because uh yeah how many what was it three years later is the yeah. is the yeah. follow-up mm-hmm. and i remember it feeling like a return too. you know like they did these great videos with patrick ulias yeah which like, is like the, the mainstay uh, director yeah. for them great videos. um like up on top of the the crane and oh yeah in the harbor yeah. and stuff and, and then, then with the flags with running the, on the, the, the beach and the flag and, yes and and, King it, of ever, yeah, and, and and the way that the song starts with that snare with that cadence uh yeah. snare cadence is just like okay they're back yeah <laughs> and, and 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 when i heard that i was like although i didn't um i never owned the a copy of that album so i only knew the singles i, I like wasn't i wasn't fully back in yet but i i could tell that they were coming back and same the same time for me was, actually
2: i only like went back to the album and like ran and bought a copy after i did an interview with tom and johan for the storm within and Uh we were talking a bit about it and a couple of my good friends who are huge evergrey fans told me i really really need to go and grab a copy of Hymns for Mm -hmm. broken and i did and i think the title hymns is pretty fitting because all of these songs are so anthemic and powerful and yeah really really amazing return
0: to form i would say absolutely good good that you found a copy because actually for a time it was kind of hard to find a copy of the cd like when i did want to buy it um you couldn't you couldn't really find it and i think it's because they made a label change possibly yeah. and switched over to af uh, the, uh, afm yeah, for the storm be. within yeah and maybe there was just some lag uh with like producing the album it always happened. and then I couldn't find it or it was like super expensive on eBay or something <laughs> and then so I just never I never bought that one but Jason why don't you tell us what you what your thoughts are
1: you know I was just thinking I think Torn and Glorious Collision I, if I'm not mistaken I think they might have been like independent releases um, I'm not positive about that but I feel like you can hear like the drop off from Monday Morning Apocalypse which was still inside out and I think From Torn and Glory were both like self released. Uh, okay. And then Hymns for the Broken went to AFM Records, which was really good for them because that's a great home for them. But I think they may have underestimated Evergrey's fan base, which is probably why the CD was not as available. Um, but I, I did, I remember pre ordering that one. Um, and um, this album, it, its it has all the emotion, but then like this power behind it too. Like, you know. They were, I remember when they were releasing um, like teaser images and yes. they were like the silhouettes of the people that were going to be the new guitarist and the new drummer. And I was like, wait a second, those are the guys that are already
0: <laughs> from the old <laughs> albums. Like, yeah.
1: it's them again, you know? <laughs> like their <laughs> silhouettes are very recognizable. And, and so it was like a big deal that they were coming back. And because again, it was three years. So I kind of thought, you know, and it wasn't just three years of, oh, we're making an album, it's three years of silence almost. And so you thought, okay, maybe they're done, but I mean, the, the singles are great. The um, my two favorite on the album though are the absolutely epic, uh, the Grand Collapse, which it yes. has just like this central riff to it that is just a monster. And um, hearing that live, but I've heard it live a couple times was just, I mean, just absolutely a highlight of the night. But, but then he, um, the ballad, Missing You. With uh, Tom just like at, on his A game, and again, live like he really just emotes through that. So, but yeah, that album I, I still listen to it quite often because it, it's like a really good one to s-
0: pop in your car while with the windows all down and everything because it just
1: like rocks, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I was I just wanted to you kind of reminded me of a point I wanted to make, especially with um, moving into the Storm Within and then the new album. Tom's voice somehow comes back to a place that I remember from the earlier albums, like mm-hmm. his emotional side. yep, I feel kind of i mean it never went really went away, but it, because they got this more streamlined kind of metal radio approach for a little while there mm-hmm. some of that emotion that I loved from the early days kind of was 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 um lessened maybe for a more um accessible sound. Yeah. And I think with this album it mm-hmm. felt like although I didn't know the the one before it this album it felt like that that was coming back. And then by by the Atlantic is like fully there again. Mm-hmm. That's my feeling.
1: Oh, I I absolutely agree. Um if you listen if you do end up listening to the glorious collision you'll notice his voice sounds maybe at his lowest point that I've ever heard on any of his albums. It's not that it's not emotional. It just sounds totally different. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's production okay. or what, but it sounds a lot different than the, the last few.
2: Yeah. Just one, one more thing for Hymns for the Broken, maybe um, as as broken as it may sound like Hymns for the Broken and stuff, um, especially with the song like Wake a Change, Mm-hmm. There's this um, hope coming into the sound of Evergrey, which is sure, yeah. absolutely glorious, and, and 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 got this power from deep within, like um, like you come out of turmoil, emotional turmoil or whatever in your life, you come out stronger as ever, and um, it's got yeah this powerful
0: emotion of of hope certainly from the interviews of the time i mean i think i read this at least a few times that uh tom went through like a really like a workaholic phase with the band for several years and just kind of got burned out and then maybe there were like internal struggles and fights and so yeah i think with the return there was this this kind of rebirth for them like creatively and stuff and yeah. certainly with the storm within I remember it suddenly came out of nowhere that they had like another album ready to go and I remember him writing something to that effect like that they love being with AFM they're super creative at the moment and very excited about the future of the band and they they had their chemistry back basically with with
2: with three guys from like I mean Rickard keyboard player Ricard Sander was with them since 2003 and the two returning guys, Henrik and Jonas, and then we had Johan, who is also now, by the time now, he's in the band since 2011. Mm-hmm. He's uh, absolutely an integral part of the now classic Evergrey lineup, I would say. Yes. And uh, to con- to connect or to to make that segue into the storm within from what i just said about hymns for the broken it just carries on especially with the title track um when i when i was interviewing them it was really funny because i was like did i hear a major chord yeah
0: exactly yeah
2: (laughs) and then they were (laughs) they, they, they were they were laughing and said oh yes yeah we we when we came up with this opening chord for the storm within we were like laughing in the in the rehearsal room or and looking at ta- each other and thinking hmm, can we really do this we are a metal band and <laughs> but they liked it so much that they kept it and uh, and oh, it's so, it's so glad gl- it's glorious it's yeah. it's
0: amazing yeah when it came out this is my favorite album from 2016 i mean I, when it i really felt like they came back um to who they were and i had one other experience in life with a band in this way and it was with dream theater when they brought out uh, metropolis part two i had the same feeling that when when that came it was kind of like wow okay they're back mm-hmm. and uh and that's how i felt with this record that it was like for me it was uh, it, it is uh definitely my
2: second favorite after inner circle and yeah especially the last four Songs are like flawless yeah. from Lonely Monarch, Paradox of the Flame, Disconnect, and Storm Within, they're just perfect. And um, I also love The Impossible as another oh, heartfelt yeah. piano ballad from Tom. Um, and we had Flor Jansen as guest singer. Yeah. Flor is amazing, I've been a fan of hers since a long time. Um she was singing with Tom on In Orbit and on Disconnect but I I I've been waiting to say this for the, for the last hour about Karina's voice because Karina has such an amazing voice and I think for me she steals as much as I love Floor Jansen she's she absolutely steals the, the show where with Paradox of the Flame. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. The Storm Within was kind of... It was it was kind of like taking the power from uh, Hymns for the Broken. And and they kind of made it a little bit more accessible again. Um, you know, with like pathing, passing through and someday and, and songs like that. And then just... Produce, and they weren't afraid to do the ballads again. Um, and there's, you know, multiple ones on there. I remember some of bad reviews for this album complaining about that and i was like come on guys oh. you know this is this is ever you know this is who they are and and so like the impossible is, is one of my favorite ballads by them but then you got like the paradox of the flame and that like super amazing uh fi- video that came with it um yeah and on the beach Iceland, on the beach yeah right? and and Karina's wearing that you know that dress is like flowing in the wind and everything yeah and um it's kind of like a prequel or part one. And then the Atlantic is part two. And, you know, some of the things that have happened to them personally in between the two, you know, like make this album make even more sense. Um, The storm within being, you know, much more, it was, it was emotional from the get go, you know, is they said, Oh, it's like this, you know, concept album where these two people like they, they are like a universe away from each other, essentially and they can't get back to one another and so it's like this like cosmic love story and you know i was like oh that's great but then i didn't think about you know what could be going on to make such a story in their mind and um and so it's even more of an emotional thing to listen to now um and then the storm within like that that title track that ends it and the way, like the keys near the end, come like floating in with like almost that electronic sound to them. Just like that, that, um, that track is one of my favorites by them on any album. And this is this is actually my second favorite album by them as well. Although the Atlantic could easily surpass that sometime soon. We'll see.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, I, I think I think they're on a roll here, uh, and, and with us too. I think. Um, and. So I guess we'll just end this with um, the, a little talk about The Atlantic because I, I know that the three of us have all yeah. heard it now and uh, it's coming out on Friday. Yeah. So when yes. people hear this, it, that will be tomorrow um, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and who who wants to start?
2: Maybe Jason, because I guess you have heard it for more, m- time. m- more times. I just heard sure. it two times. Yeah,
1: sure, yeah. I mean, I... Um, i don't know if you saw but i i had a re- release an album review for it um and it's one of the it's just one of those albums that they took like i said they took the power from hymns for the broken and they they brought back the like the poetry in the storm within and then they combined all of that um and the accessibility as well into like this monster of an album that just has such like like this stormy tidal atmosphere to it and you know there are certain songs on it that are obviously stronger like like Weightless um, their newer, one of their newer singles is, is just absolutely gigantic but then there's other songs on there um, like All I Have that it's just like maybe not single material but is so emotional and and so gut wrenching that, you know, it, it stands out for me. And so I, I don't know, it's it's something I mean, I have to admit, um, there's something about that artwork that <laughs> it is definitely their best artwork on any of their albums, in my opinion. And but it means so much, you know, the guy in the stormy seas with the tide like like the wave coming to like probably clock him, you know, knock the whole boat over. And then there's like this house with the raven on top, and the house has like a key hole in it, and you know uh, it just means a lot. And I'm I'm still like processing all of that and all the artwork that they've been releasing that go with goes with it. But the um, the weight, the sheer weight of the album from beginning to end, it doesn't outstay welcome. It doesn't um, try to you know put in some filler songs or some filler instrumentals or anything like that all everything makes sense and you know if an instrumental comes in in a song it's there for a reason to absolutely like you know punch in them in the jaw you know so it's it's just a it's just a i wouldn't say unexpected album because i expected it to be amazing but it's something that i've connected with and and honestly you know, I mean, I know we're not even through January yet, but it's going to be pretty hard to beat it this year, I think, to be honest.
2: Wow. Yeah. Um. You said something about All I Have, which is like we had the first two singles, Silent Arc and Waitless, yeah. which are also the first two songs on the album. So most of you guys will probably all already heard these two songs. But then the next song is All I Have. And I was like... Whoa, this is quite bleak and doomy and I love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so um, but it's it's different. And um the next song, the fourth song, The Secret Atlantis. Um when I listened to it for the first time I didn't I didn't get it. I was like, okay, there's a keyboard solo, okay, there's a guitar solo. <laughs> um but then I wrote down, didn't get it. <laughs> And then I was listening to the album a second time and all of a sudden I, w- I was like holy shit this is freaking <laughs> intense. <laughs> so yeah it was it was a great moment like realizing that or or like connecting the the the, the different elements of the song that 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 make out the song and connecting so that, yeah they connected in my head somehow. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they flow so um,
2: well. One thing I have to mention is the ending, because that extreme crescendo with the double bass and everything—it mm-hmm. it just goes—it's mind blowing. Like I, I wish they they had they a, a couple of more had a couple of more of these elements, like going completely extreme. Um, but on the other hand, if they had these across the album, here and there, the ending wouldn't be, be so it is,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't,
2: impactful. It doesn't mean
1: as much, yeah. yeah. I mean, they don't use a lot yeah. of double bass on any of their albums. Yeah. True. And, and so when they do, um, you notice, absolutely. I, th-
0: I think it was a really bold and uh, artistic move to release a silent arc as the first single, because it's like... <laughs> what eight minutes long yeah you know and um and absolutely amazing um you guys have had way more time with it album with the, with the album and i know dario hasn't even had that much time um and i'm not even really through it all because i, I keep i keep starting it over because i want to have the the flow you know um yeah. just right and but i have listened to the the first two singles a lot of times so the first two tracks of the album and I, and yeah, I already see this as quite possibly topping the storm within which I didn't think would be possible but um it already feels like that and I just think I need another another good fool two listens to to get the whole concept and mm-hmm. to to understand the journey and stuff but I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about the, the future of the band, and, 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 you know, they've been around for quite a while now. Um, they must be approaching the, I mean, they're definitely p- past 20 years. The, the Storm
2: Within marked kind of their, like, 20, 20 years anniversary and 10
0: records, so this is their 11th, if I count correctly, if I remember correctly. Right. And it's it's so great to see that that, that the vitality kind of comes back, um, you know. And 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 I was thinking about this the other day, like why 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 did it happen that they had a, like a lower period? And I mean, it's probably you know in the end, it's just life, and maybe the pressures of the business and the uh-huh. relentless album tour, album tour. I mean, you know, art is not um, you can't really commodify your art in in like a sense in in a sense of time you know it can't be Mm -hmm. that it has to be rigidly produced in a certain period of time and i think this just weighs on 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 the bands in order to make a living to survive as a band which most can't you know Um, and the ones who can are forced to you know be in this sort of vicious cycle that it's only logical that at some point the wheels will grind down you know, and there there will need to be this annuement uh, or however you call that, where you know they have a return. Mm-hmm. Still, an Im- Im- impressively solid
2: discography overall, I'd say. Yeah, and I, I I just wanna wanna I wanna thank some some of my friends for for they 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 kept insisting that I should go back to to, to Evergray like during the hymns for the broken period leading up to the storm within which were mainly uh, Manu and Sabria um, but also my other Evergray friends um, Andrew Bennett Oystein Harberg and uh, Matt Spall the man of much metal yeah um, <laughs> so yeah thank you for keeping the flame alive and yeah I think that the guys are on a roll here with three uh consequent albums that are top notch and yeah. The Atlantic comes out on Friday. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I I'm hoping that uh people give them a try because I was actually talking to my friend uh his name is Vikram Shankar and oh, yeah. he is friends with Tom, like personal friends. Mm-hmm. And Tom has expressed his um his heart about the music business about how you know you know they would be oh you're too dark oh no now oh you sound like dream theater now or and then they'd be, and they'd be like okay you need to be heavier again and then you know oh you need more ballads again and and so like every album there's people that have criticized and said you know this isn't right you know you gotta keep altering it. and so he would listen to them he used to and he would they would alter it for the next album and then <laughs> And then people complain and want them to go back to what they were, yep. and and so he's um, <clears throat> apparently a very sensitive guy, um, yeah. and he takes what people say to heart. And so um, he's finally getting to that place where this is who he is. This is the music they make, and they're going to make what they want to make, you know. And and AFM Records seems to believe in them and really promote them. And so I'm I'm just happy to see them getting to a place where they can just do what they do. And you know, not worry so much about the admittedly very critical prog community, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they've reached reached the point of being like post expectation, you Hopefully. know, because they are evergrey, you know, period. That's that's who they are, and everything that's come before is who they are. So yeah, maybe this expectation period of expectation is over and tom can follow his heart fully jason thanks so much for taking the time on your day off of work um thank your family for borrowing you to us (laughs) for two two hours and change to talk about uh something that i think we all love very much which is this band from gothenburg sweden called evergrey well thank you guys for having me it was
1: a lot of fun and now I just want to go listen to Evergray. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think
2: we
0: all will now. <laughs> yeah. Ho- hopefully our listeners also uh, have that feeling. Everybody get out there and buy Evergray's new album on Friday. Support the bands. All right, guys. Freaks out. The Freaks Progcast, presented by The Prog Space, is a production of Stuis Media and is recorded at the Moonbase Studios in Munich. The show is produced by Janine Stengel, Blake Lewis, Kai Metzner, Dario Albrecht, and myself, Randy M. Salo. Our theme music is provided by This Is Not An Elephant. Thanks for tuning in, freaks. See you next time. Freaks out.